Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for another episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly, your one-stop shop for all things horror-related, science fiction, fantasy, gems in the rough, hard to find, movies, movies that should be seen, movies that maybe shouldn't be seen. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver, and uh, after several episodes dealing with the uh, best of 2014, in review, I'm going to now get back into the swing of things and uh, get on with my regular uh, my regular show. And today, I'm going to start off with I thought would be kind of fun is to discuss uh, some different movies that uh, that get much more hate than than they should. Now, I understand that with with the type of show that I do, Cinema Soft Underbelly, uh, there's a lot of movies that I talk about that are considered. B movies or cheesy movies or you know silly that type of thing. Uh, I, I get it. I understand that. Uh, but there's also certain movies that actually have nice, you know fairly big budgets and are uh, you know widely released, uh, have a big studio behind them, and, um, and and obviously some of the movies that that flop, rightly so, should flop. But then there's other movies that I think deserve. Uh, deserve to be revisited and re-examined and, and I think that they're kind of gems in the rough. So and there's, there's tons of them, but I picked uh, several that came to my mind immediately. And again, this is all subjective. So I'm guessing that there, there may be one or two that if you've seen any of these, there might be one or two that you're like, what? No, that deserved to fail. That was, that wasn't good. But eh, you know, movies are subjective and these are just for me personally. I think that they unjustly, uh, didn't do so good or get unjustly trashed by critics and fans of this type of thing. So without further ado, here we go. Uh, First up is 2002's Ghost Ship, directed by Steve Beck, and this is a Dark Castle movie. And uh, the director, uh, Steve Beck, um, he only directed two movies, uh, 13 Ghosts, which is another one. I actually think the Ghost Ship is much better than 13 Ghosts, but 13 Ghosts is still entertaining, and it is a Dark Castle movie uh, from the from a previous year. Uh, but I, And even that one, I think that that one gets trashed, and it's really not that bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Ghost Ship, on the other hand, I thoroughly enjoy. And uh, the movie itself, I remember I saw it in the theater with, obviously, with my co-host, Eric Marner, um, over on Movie Freaks, and we. it was one of those where I, I recall... Uh, it getting all sorts of bad reviews, and it didn't do that good. Uh, and everybody was saying, "Oh, you know, the the first five minutes, the opening scene is the only good part of the movie." And the first five minutes of the movie are awesome. Uh, it is horror movie gold. However, everything else in the movie works great, and I'm just glad I got to see it in the theater. I watched it numerous times on DVD, and then as soon as the Blu-ray came out, I had to get the Blu-ray. Because uh, it's just it's such a good movie, but budget was thirty five million dollars, and uh, I think that that's a that's a good sized budget. It grossed thirty million total in the United States, which isn't I mean that's not a huge bomb, but for a thirty five million dollar budgeted movie, could have done a lot better than that. Um, because Dark Castle had uh, had several hits, and 
One was House on Haunted Hill. That was a hit. And I believe that 13 Ghosts did pretty good, too. Um, but for some reason, Ghost Ship just didn't do quite as good. Uh, and it's unfortunate. I'm going to read the synopsis of the movie here for those that have not seen it. Uh, when Canadian Air Force pilot Jack Ferriman recruits the team to investigate a mysterious vessel he has spotted floating adrift off the coast of Alaska in a remote region of the Bering Sea, they discover the remains of the fabled Antonia Grays, uh, thought lost at sea for more than 40 years. And it's quite a find. The salvage rights alone could be worth a fortune, and by the law of the sea, any abandoned vessel discovered on international waters can be claimed by whoever is fortunate enough to find her and skilled enough to haul her back to port. Uh, but once they board this huge, huge deserted ship, uh, the crew of the Arctic Warrior discover that the decaying vessel is anything but deserted, and it's home to something much more deadly and horrific than they've encountered in all their years at sea. Uh, so, um, I, I'll, I'll say this right up front, though. The, 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 first, the opening scene of this movie is the best part of the movie. But that's by no means is that to say that the rest of the movie isn't good. It's extremely good. Uh, there's a huge beginning, and then by about the midway point, there's another huge set piece, and then the end reveal is just great. It's so cool, and and uh, uh, it ends with a Mudvayne song over the credits, which is awesome, heavy metal song. Uh, Gabriel Byrne is in this, and... Um, Desmond Harrington is in this, and I really like him. He's a really good bad guy in this. He was actually the hero of uh, Wrong Turn. He was in Wrong Turn. Carl Carl Urban is in this. Um, Emily Browning is in this. She is the uh, she was the little girl in the movie, and uh, it, which is interesting. She's the the little girl in in the movie that she's a ghost, and since then she's. Uh, gone on to be the little bombshell in Sucker Punch, and um, she was in Pompeii, I guess. The Uninvited, Unfortunate, uh, the Jim Carrey series on Unfortunate Events. But it's just funny how she was this little girl in Ghost Ship, and then she was in the the crazy Sucker Punch movie. So uh, anyway, um, Ghost Ship. So I'm just going to pull up some uh, some trivia here. And basically what I just told you about the movie, that is, that's that's the synopsis. I don't want to give too much away because if you haven't seen it, it is a horror movie, yes, but there's a lot of really, really cool supernatural uh, stuff going on. And I the, the I hate to say twist, but there is some, some stuff that comes to light towards the end of the movie that is so, so cool uh, that you just, it's worth watching for the... Uh, um, the the final reveal type stuff, what's going on. But lush production values. The ship itself is big and creepy. Uh, I I remember one one time in particular watching this movie. It, I was it was like I was still single, living by myself, and it was like three thirty in the morning, and I couldn't sleep. And I'm like, man, I just want something fun to watch and so I popped in Ghost Ship and that was like one of my most memorable times watching the movie because I was 3.30 in the morning I I figured I would fall asleep but I was glued to the TV watching it again until it was done at like 5 in the morning so um, uh, anyway um, originally the movie was conceived as a relatively bloodless psychological horror about four salvage crew members who turn against one another after being uh, stranded in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean aboard the remains of a cruise ship 
uh, believed to have been lost in the 1960s, which this is nothing, nothing, nothing at all like that. Uh, there is, while it's not uh, blood and guts the whole way through, there is, like I said, there's a couple of set pieces in the movie that are just fantastic. Two in particular that are crazy, and I, it, they're, uh, it almost catches you off guard because you're like, whoa, okay, so there we go. That's what this is going to be like. Uh, but big thumbs up, huge thumbs up. I love Ghost Ship, and I, I, I think it is unjustly trashed. Uh, I remember the reviews back when this came out. In fact, I wasn't planning on watching the movie because the reviews were so bad. And I actually think that uh, I could be wrong, but I think that uh, my co-host Eric Marner, I think that he may have been the one that talked me into seeing this. Uh, but regardless, we were both of the same mindset going into it, like nothing else on, I suppose, let's just watch this. And we were both like, what? That was good. That was a good movie. So big thumbs up. Check it out. Next up is a movie from, let me just get my Blu-ray here out, from 2007. And that would be The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Now, I, uh, I'm probably guessing right now that my co-host Eric Marner is rolling his eyes if he's listening to this show uh, because he has seen this one uh, after my, some, not glowing review, but very positive review, and I don't recall him liking it all that much. But that's okay. It's, you know, this is just me personally. Um, I think the movie was really good. Uh, I, another one that got pretty much universally trashed and uh, I love the Alexandra Aja original, well, original remake, Hills Have Eyes, from, uh, from 2006. It was fantastic. And uh, then this comes out, and Wes Craven was heavily involved in this. He wrote the movie, and his son wrote the movie too, I guess. Uh, Martin Weiss directed it, and Martin Ru- Weiss uh, has not directed a whole lot. Uh, Grim Love, a short movie, and then a movie called Squatters. So... Um, there you go. Um, okay, so Hills Have Eyes Part 2. The okay, a team of trainees of the National Guard brings uh, are bringing supplies to the New Mexico desert for a group of soldiers and scientists that are installing a monitoring system in Sector 16. They do not find anyone at the camp, and they receive a blurred distress signal from the hills. Their sergeant gathers a rescue team, and they are attacked and trapped by deformed cannibals having to fight to survive. Um, uh, just like Ghost Ship has a crazy beginning, this movie also has a crazy beginning. And I'm going to spoil it just so you know. Uh, there's a, a slight spoiler here because it's so vicious, uh, I, I have to say it. Uh, the film opens with this brutal scene of a restrained woman giving birth, and as soon as she gives birth, she's killed by a mutant, uh, smashed in the head, I think with a rock or something like that. It's so hardcore, and you're like... What? Oh, man. And this movie, at least in its unrated version, I've never watched, I didn't see this in the theater. Uh, I never watched the uh, R-rated version, but the unrated version is just so hardcore. Um, so um, th- I do think this is funny before I get into anything, anything else. I'm looking at the trivia here. And this movie's trailer was accidentally shown in a theater uh, in front of um, 2000, 2007's kids movie, The Last Mimsy. Uh, in Holtzville, Long Island, and the audience members were mostly made up of young children and their parents having to watch the, gra- the graphic. Um, oh, okay, it wasn't even the trailer. Uh, it, it was accidentally... So they actually, actually started to show the movie, and so <laughs> the movie starts with this graphic birth scene and then the mutant baby at the start of the movie. 
And the theater employees were unaware of their mistake until they saw people running out of the theater room crying and screaming. Uh, so, and then the theater apologized and offered vouchers. Uh, but wow, that's scarring material right there because that is a that's a rough movie. So uh, anyway, so again, this is basically a group of people trapped in a an enclosed environment and uh, there's bad guys that are killing them and the bad guys can either be a serial killer or a monster or inbred cannibal mutants, which is this case, they're inbred cannibal mutants. Um, budget was $15 million and I would... I would tell you the uh, like some of the actors in the movie, but honestly, there might be one or two that you you would recognize, but uh, not so much. I I, I don't re- recognize hardly any of them. Um, but it's violent. Um, with the meager budget of fifteen million dollars, it did gross twenty million, so that's not too bad. Uh, it certainly could have been better uh, after this. It uh, there was never another one, and I, I wish there would be would have been because it's cheesy. The um, the acting is silly. This is not near as competent as the 2006 version, but I think it was really really fun. It's fast paced. Uh, it's you want the characters to, to get offed. It's shot well. It's it's everything about it. I just thoroughly enjoy. And I've watched it numerous times. And every time I watch it, I'm like, this is. This is good. I like this. Uh, just some some notes here. Uh, the mine shafts were created by the same team who were responsible for the caves in the fantastic 2005 movie The Descent uh, from uh, uh, from Neil Marshall. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, originally, Wes Craven had the idea of Brenda from the first film enlisting in the National Guard to overcome her fears, only to be sent back into the same desert with the mutants. Um, she was the only one who knew about the mutants hideout and where they were located. Uh, the idea was cut since the actress was involved with lost at the time. And, uh, so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's silly. That wouldn't have worked. What, what they, what they did instead worked way, way better. Um, uh, let's see here. Wes Craven, the writer and director of the original 2000 or 19, 1977 version wrote the screenplay for the sequel to the 2006 remake, and yeah, which I already said that that's in the trivia here. Um, okay, well, anyway, so it's good. I like the movie. It's uh, it gets a, a big thumbs up. It's not the greatest movie ever, but for uh, for a quick 89 minute long movie, if you want action and gore and uh, silly actors getting off in gruesome ways, that's your movie. Thumbs up here. I like it. Next up is. Um, and this one here, it's a shame because I just read the book uh, for this movie, and uh, this is one where I actually think the the movie is better than the book. And I talked about this a little bit on Movie Freaks on our uh, one of our previous shows, and that is 2003's Dreamcatcher, uh, novel obviously written by Stephen King, the 2003 movie directed by Lawrence Kasdan, and he's done uh, a lot of of uh, of really good movies. Um, and he's written uh, a ton of movies, and one of them is including The Force Awakens, the newest Star Wars movie. Uh, so, But he directed Wyatt Earp, uh, Silverado, The Big Chill, Body Heat. Um, so anyway, and then he, he's written a ton of movies. I'll tell you what, um, after reading the book that was extremely long-winded, uh, after a, an, an initial fantastic setup, uh, the book just 
goes on and on. And I still like the book. It is still good, but it, it, uh, they actioned up the movie significantly while still keeping almost everything in that needed to be kept in from the book. And therefore, I, I give this movie um, a step up above from the book. Uh, Stephen King has even gone on record as saying that he was addicted to Oxycontin at the time because of his accident that he was in prior to the writing of this book. And so he's already said that this is not his finest hour. And I would agree. It's still a, it's still a good read, but it's nowhere near... Um, not, well, it's it's not as good as the movie. The budget of this movie was huge, $68 million, and it's up there on the screen. It looks great. And it only grossed $33 million here in the States. And that's just, that's unfortunate because another one that, again, I watched with my co-host, Eric Marner, uh, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. We both thought it was great in the theater. I And since then, since then, a little bit of the CGI, especially towards the end, is a bit spotty, but it's not a big deal. I... Um, they're still churning out worlds worse than that on Sci-Fi Channel, and even even direct to Netflix movies have way worse CGI than what's found in the end of this movie when the big aliens are uh, battling it out. Um, speaking of the big aliens in the movie, I need to tell you the plot synopsis here. Uh, Jonesy, Pete, Beaver, and Henry are all childhood friends kept together by a special secret that they share. Uh, once every year, they go on a hunting trip to the Jefferson Tract. This year is different. They shelter a man who has been lost for days in the woods in the middle of a still-continuing blizzard. The man has odd marks on his face, and as they discover the awful truth of what he is infected with, the military attempts to quarantine an alien virus as a result of an alien crash landing. The four friends must survive the alien infection and overpower a crazed military admiral who prepares to wipe out the whole Jefferson Tract in order to contain the alien infection. And... There is so much going on in this movie. Uh, these guys have a special connection with this mentally handicapped uh, friend of theirs from from childhood, and this friend appears more. He's more than what he seems to be. Um, so they have these psychic powers, and the alien uh, possesses one of the guys, uh, and then there's the crazed military people. There's a lot going on, and I under I I kind of sort of get why this movie was was trash because. Uh, it just jumps from one thing to the next to the next, but the book is, you know, a good 650 pages long, uh, and this movie's two hours and 13 minutes, so they crammed, and what I like is they crammed a lot of that book in here, but I'm okay with that. It's, uh, I was never bored, and it's always keeping you on your feet, on, like on the edge of your seat, like, okay, what's going to happen next? Now we cut to this. Now we cut back to this. Now we cut to the, the crazy sergeant. Now we cut back to one of the guys that's infected with the alien virus that is trying to escape the quarantine zone and infect the world. Um, the cast is very, very good. Morgan Freeman, Thomas Jane, Jason Lee, Damian Lewis is in this. Uh, Tom Sizemore, Donnie Wahlberg is in this as the grown duddits. He's the, uh, the, the mentally handicapped person in the movie. Uh, I will say this. After reading the book, Morgan Freeman's character, uh, uh, Colonel Abraham Curtis, He's Kurtz in the book, and he's the main villain other than the alien infection. Uh, and he was uh, extremely brutal in the book, way more so than in the movie. And part of that, I think, is because Morgan Freeman, while a fantastic actor, uh, isn't a great sell as a bad guy, in my opinion. Uh, he, he was good in this, but he seemed to be slightly miscast. Even though he, he, was, great, he was a great actor in the movie, he just, I expected someone, especially after reading the book, they should have cast someone um, 
a little bit different. In fact, his sidekick, Tom Sizemore, would have probably been a better choice for the main villain in the movie uh, versus Morgan Freeman. But uh, anyway, I, it's, it, that's, that's splitting hairs. It's still a great movie. Uh, it's, it's got some really funny parts. It's got some gooey, slimy, gory alien stuff. It's got some huge, big-budget action in it. Uh, it's got uh, a really good ending. I like that it's a very, very abrupt ending. Um, and it, So there's a big build-up followed by this really cool, abrupt ending. And I, I like it. Sometimes I, I'm not a big fan of, of that, but in this case, I thought that it really worked good. Uh, and so it gets a thumbs up, big thumbs up. In fact, this one here, I generally give this movie four out of five stars. Um, it could have even been a good 15, 20 minutes longer to flesh out a couple of the things. Again, a little bit of the CGI got a little bit shaky there towards the end, but those are just those are minor, minor quibbles to a, a very good movie that was beautifully shot, uh, beautifully acted. Good movie. Check it out. Highly recommended. Next up, um, here we go. This is... Uh, this is uh, utter crap that I love. Alien vs. Predator Requiem. And uh, I owe my co-host, Eric Marner, credit for this one. Uh, he, um, we saw this in the theater with, uh, with our friend Anthony. And I recall leaving the movie and Eric being like, that wasn't too bad. That was pretty good. And I flat out hated it. And I think Anthony was on the fence on it. Um, but I'm like, that, that wasn't good. Well, um, Eric bought the Blu-ray and watched it and said, Eugene, you really should give this movie another chance. I'm telling you. And somehow he finally convinced me to give it another chance. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is great. This is hilarious. This is like the best sci-fi original movie ever made. Uh, So for some reason... for some reason, it just didn't click with me the first time. I will say that the uh, the second time I watched this movie, uh, I watched the unrated version. And um, the unrated version, let me just see if it has a different, uh, how much r- runtime different. It doesn't say on the back. Um, I will say that there is more violence and bloodshed in the unrated version. Because that was one of, the, one of my complaints with the first time I watched it was that it, they were going for an R rating, unlike the first AVP directed by Paul Anderson, that felt neutered. I mean, everybody was wanting a hard R because it's Alien and it's Predator. And what we got was a PG-13 rated summer blockbuster type movie. And I will say this. Uh, I've actually got AVP, the first one, in front of me as well. I wasn't sure if I was going to have time to hit on that, but that is a good movie. Uh, and it's Yes, it's cheesy, but it's a big budget sci-fi blockbuster feeling movie that I think is very good. I don't care what anybody says. I know that these movies get trashed so bad, so bad and to me unjustly. If, if it would be, um, anything but the actual alien and the actual predator, I think that these would be looked on much better, especially AVP, the first one. Now I will admit that Requiem, it's a train wreck, but it's a fun train wreck. Man, is it fun? Um, I suppose I'll read the plot synopsis, I guess. Um, Gunnison County spacecraft crashes into the woods, bringing a powerful hybrid alien hosted inside the pilot Predator, uh, which is kind of from the end of the first AVP. A local uh, and his son are hunting in the forest and witness the crash, 
but they are chased and killed by the alien. Meanwhile, another predator lands on the spot seeking out the alien and destroys evidence of their presence on Earth. The dwellers of the town find themselves in the middle of a battlefield between the two deadly extraterrestrial creatures, and the small group of survivors splits between the leadership of Sheriff Eddie Morales and the bad boy Dallas Howard. Both have different opinions about the best means to escape from the beings. Uh, and the first AVP, um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mainly focus on Requiem, uh, because I, I'm guessing that AVP, the first one, gets a little bit more love than this thing does. So for time purposes, I'm going to mainly just stick with Requiem. Uh, the budget was definitely less than the first one for first uh, the AVP. This was uh, had a budget of 40 million. It grossed 41 million. Not terrible, but certainly not great. Um, it was directed by the brothers Strauss. So uh, they've actually also. Let's see what else they've done. What else have you guys done? Uh, Skyline, there you go. That's what it was. Another one that gets trashed that I think was decent. I, I, I didn't think it was a bad movie. I liked the ending that was nuts. Um, one thing that I had a big complaint for this movie with was it was so dark and hard to see in the sewers and at night, but it wasn't a deal-breaker. And on Blu-ray... It, it looks fantastic, and it sounds even better. Uh, cranked up the brightness just a little bit, and it's, it's no problem. I, man, it, it's, uh, it works so well, this movie, for what it is. You have to look past, kind of, kind of like The Hills Have Eyes 2. There's cheesy acting in it, and it's basically, it's cannon fodder. The characters are strictly cannon fodder, therefore the uh, predator-alien hybrid and uh, the, these creatures to just off one after the other. No one is safe in this movie. No one is safe. I like that. Uh, it's mean-spirited. It's violent. It's it's gruesome. It moves at a fast pace. Uh, everybody, that, that, everybody that you want to get killed uh, does. Um, so, anyway, big thumbs up. I think the movie's good. There's some... There's some uh, Actually, there's a lot of trivia on this movie. Bill Paxton was approached to play the diner chef so he could appear in the second Predator Alien and AVP film in each series. Uh, however, scheduling conflict prevented him from making an appearance. And Bill Paxton in this, I don't think would have really worked because Bill Paxton's an actual really good actor, and this movie is filled with not-so-much good actors. Um, this movie is kind of in a little world all its own, and that's why I like it so much. Um... Cemetery sequence, there's a man with a gun that stands in front of a tombstone with the name Hawkins on it. Now, Hawkins is one of the soldiers um, is, was one of the soldiers from the first Predator movie, uh, played by Shane Black. So, anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, in the original script, the Predator-alien hybrid was to have died when the Predator ship crashed, which occurred uh, early on. It was re rewritten to incorporate the creature into the movie and make it the main villain, as the studio was very impressed by the concept. And I think it looks cool. Um, I, I do miss the huge queen alien tearing stuff up in the first AVP, in the ending of that. But uh, I, I dig this for what it is. I think it works just fine. Uh, I've gone on to watch this movie numerous times, and uh, every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the one. Um, the uh, oh, the 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 dreadlocks from this pred—it's called the pred alien. It were shrewdly composed from the rod puppet alien's tail in Alien Three. Uh, this was conceived after running into the logistics of how to convey the pred alien's traits of being a hybrid predator alien. So this is actually kind of sort of tied with 
the another underrated movie, David Fincher's Alien 3 from 1992. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, I think the movie is good. I think it holds up very well. The special effects are good. Uh, go in with low expectations because it is silly, but, you know, so so was Hills Have Eyes Part 2, and I really dug that. Um, and, and again, even the, the first AVP, uh, I think that this is a good movie. Uh, now that I have these out, I positive I'm going to be watching these again soon because they are a blast, especially if you have a stiff drink in front of you. So out of all these, I think that the, the technically the most, uh, the best made movie would have been Dreamcatcher, but Ghost Chip is right there too. Uh, I'll t- it's underseen. I think that it should, I think that the, all of these movies should be given a chance. If you're not a huge gore fan, you may want to stay a little bit farther away from from most of these, although Dreamcatcher is uh, is is easily watchable. That's got uh, a very much a summer blockbustery type of feel going on to it. It's set in the winter, but it it's a big budget movie. It's not that graphic or anything like that. But they're all very very good and enjoyable in their own right. And I think that they should be given a chance. So anyway, that's my show for the day. I hope you liked it. I hope that you'll give at least one of these movies a chance. You may you might find something you like here. Um, I'll probably be doing this type of thing from time to time just because there's, again, there's so many shows that I'm going to be doing that talk about movies that most people would discard and and not have a whole lot of use for. But um, I, I'm here to support those movies and to to bring them to the very meager masses that listen to my show. So I, I hope that... Uh, I've given you something to seek out and watch. Uh, you can get a hold of me at Eugene-Weaver at Hotmail.com for any questions, concerns, comments, movies that I should watch, movies that I should stay away from, uh, movies that I should give another chance to because I unjustly trashed them. Who knows? Uh, and make sure to stay tuned for a new episode of Movie Freaks heading your way very soon. Um, and, of course, our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks. We're hoping to do another Megapod show with them here very soon if the planets align we uh, are all very busy but uh, it's always a great time to uh, hang out with those guys talk talk movies with them and uh, have one big gigantic podcast show so anyway again thanks for listening I'm Eugene Weaver and until next time <laughs>